Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 60, or maybe or chapter it? 61 <laughs> of the Corona Diaries. Okay, so you're oh. now thinking they don't actually know what episode they're on. Well, we do. It's actually 60, isn't it, H? It, it is. And um, it's lovely and warm here in the attic. And I've got my window wide open. So you're going to have to put up with general car alarms going on, such as there are, is right now. Uh, cars going by, and neighbours throwing stuff into the skip outside my front door, which will go kaboom every time they throw anything in. So it could be quite, could be quite atmospheric quite. at my I've, end. Have, have you been? Uh, your village is too small to put something in their skip, isn't it? <laughs> in whose skip? What in, in their else's? skip? Well, I've offered. I've said to the village. My skip's half full. They're coming to pick it up. No, was it your skip? It's my skip. Oh, I yeah. know. I thought it was your neighbour's skip. 300 quid. For a skip? For, to throw stuff away. How long have you had it for? A year? <laughs> We're down south here, Anthony. Things are expensive. Bloody hell, 300 quid for a skip. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Mm. Oh, dear. Are you, having to, are you clearing it out? Can I have a skip outside my house, I said. And they said, of course you can. Knock yourself yeah. out. It's a lovely day. Um, so uh, what was the question? Sorry, we, do, we don't know whether it's 60 or 61. Oh, today, to, to the mm. TCD. Mm. Oh, my TCD15. It's not 15. No. Well, who knows? Let's see. There's, we're go, we might go back in time. We, we might go back in might, time. We might climb into a time machine tomorrow. Yes. So you could get this sooner or you could get it later. It's all, it's all down to an Irishman. It's all going to come down to an Irishman, isn't mm. it? You might uh, get it before you've even downloaded it. That's right. And there we have it. And we're going to leave it there. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, 60 or 61, we're about to kick in. We've got a bit of housekeeping from last week. Um, uh, the housekeeping is getting... <laughs> it's great, actually, because at the beginning, people were really polite and they didn't tell us when we got everything wrong, but they, they just weighed straight in now. Yes. Uh, uh, actually, it's not. It's, not, it's an update. It's nothing wrong. Though you're, you're, you were a bit... Your voice wasn't sounding as good last week, apparently. Yeah, I, I, I was, was sounding better. This. Yeah, I don't know why. It'd be a damn sight worse this week with the car alarms going off and Christ knows what and the skip and the world ending outside. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a mild breeze has blown up as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> a, a, a nor'easter or something. In the trees. Right. Okay. Anyway, Elaine Courtney. Oh, Elaine. Elaine Courtney, the lovely Elaine Courtney. Um hope she's lovely. We're assuming she is. Um, <laughs> Elaine Courtney tells us that the set list on the AOS tour apparently changed in Boston. Be lovely, Elaine. Be, Be lovely, Elaine. We are. If we can, anybody can. Yes. <laughs> um, we are lovely. We are lovely. We've just got a slightly mischievous sense of humour. Um, the set list on AOS tour didn't cha- it did change in Boston. Yes. It well, was. It's gig three. It was gig three then. Yeah, that must have followed the, the crisis meeting. Yes. Um, and actually, I went a few pages forward in the diary, and there's something in the diary about it as well. So when we get there, it'll be covered in the diary as well. I was even sent a link this morning to the uh, to to which I didn't open, but it was a link regarding the power of the air conditioning in the in the Paradise Theatre. <laughs> <laughs> I'd objected to. So apparently it's legendary for it. Right. There you are then. 
There you are. Um, and then... I went, I went back on him in coat in the end. It was mid-summer and I went back on it in with a big, with a thick coat on. Oh, tell me it was a duffel. Tell me it was a Paddington duffel. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was faux fur. Faux fur? Yeah, unless it was the skunk coat. But I'll get letters if I talk about that. I've got a coat made entirely out of skunks uh, that um, I bought in a second-hand shop. So before you, before I get the tsunami of you bastard letters, they'd all been dead since the 50s, these skunks. So yeah. uh, they weren't recently killed. Um, and apparently it used to belong to Brian Ferry's wife. And she'd brought it into this shop in Kensington. And my mate, Tom the actor, just happened to see it, phoned me up and he went, there's a coat here with your name on it. Drive to London immediately. So I did <laughs> bought this coat. And it's all sort of, well, it's all skunks. Um, so, but Lucy won't let me wear it because she disagrees with, with all of that. She, she, she acts as though I've been out and murdered these creatures personally. Right. You could put a defib on it and prove it to her that it's not going to make any difference, that they're, you know, they're gone. I know, I know, but there we are. There we are. Though the sight of you putting a defib on a skunk coat would be probably worth the entrance fee alone, but there we are. Um, that brings anyway. us neatly to sport, I think you'll find. Well, well yes, it, yes, does actually, but we're not going to go there for the minute because Julie Hanlon, friend of the podcast, mm. I've always wanted to say that, friend of the podcast, Julie Hanlon, um, pointed out... Um, something about what I thought was the AOS Boston show, but actually turned out to be the Boston show in 2016. I'd misconstrued her message mm-hmm. on the subject of Boston. But apparently when you played Boston in 2016, um, the show had to start at 6 because at 10pm, the club turned into some form of alternative fetish club. Cracking. In Boston. You wouldn't imagine in, it, would you? No, no. Which caused Pete T much hilarity, apparently. You'd expect it in Liverpool. You'd be disappointed if you didn't get it in Liverpool. <laughs> but in Boston, good lord! I know, I know. I mean, normally they just throw a little bit of tea in the in the bay if they're a little bit fetish club. Yeah. Wonder if it involves having lobsters attached to your tender <laughs> parts. <laughs> well, it, they'd have to be like nipple clamps, wouldn't they? With the <laughs> pornographers. <laughs> With a with the pincers. You pornographer, Anthony. I know. Don't stop. I know. In which case, is it two lobsters or one with a very wide reach? I've got him. Oh, no, because that takes us into a totally different set of imagery. Right, okay. <laughs> the other thing we need to, as, as, before we finish the housekeeping, the British Podcast Awards are coming up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everybody um, vote for us. Everybody vote for us. We'll put a link on yeah. on chapter 60 or 61, whatever this turns out to be. We'll put a link on about the British pot. You put something on Facebook, didn't you? Yes, yes, because Lucy sent me a, a thing of me and said, oh, did you know, oh, can you write something? So I wrote something hmm. and then forgot all about all of it. We'll try and keep reminding you about the podcast awards. All righty. Anyway, this week, and nobody's, <laughs> nobody's quite as surprised as we are, we're going to talk about sport. <laughs> I agree. I agreed to it earlier before I realised what he'd said. I said. Yes, of course. Sport. Yeah. <laughs> it was about two or three seconds. It was a proper penny drop moment. Uh, there's anyway. I've plenty to say about sport. Yes. No. That's fine. Well, the reason I've come to sport is obviously it's really timely because we've got the Euro. So we've got the first mm. kind of. Big sporting event in what is 18 months, isn't it, really? In terms of, you know, a, a collection of nations playing. I know you could argue the golf and some of the tennis, but in terms of a big thing where people come together. So the Euros is on is, is just has just started, already been quite packed of incident. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you like to take in sport because you, you've often talked about football, and I believe you're a Manchester United follower. 
Yeah, well, there was this bloke in Doncaster and in Donny Rovers who'd retired, and when when they retired, they have they sometimes have these te- well back then anyway when they were all skint and second hand car salesmen and stuff before they were all earning hundred and fifty grand a week. Um, they'd have a testimonial match after a chap retired, and they'd give all of the gate money. To, to him for his retirement, which is quite nice, you know, a few grand or, or a few thirty grand or whatever they'd make on the on the turnstiles they would give to this guy by way of a retirement present. And other characters from across the football league would be invited to play in the testimonial match. Um so it it wasn't part of any any regular football um calendar it was just uh, a charity do and the word went round at school that george best um this this sort of legendary beatlesque type bloke was going to be playing i'd never even heard of him but i went along and and on on he came you know with his his outrageously long hair and his chiseled good looks and his incredible talent he could do just about anything with the ball. It was like it was stuck on his foot. Um, and I was very impressed. In fact, in my own small way, I may have fallen in love. Mm. And after that, uh, that was it. Very shortly after that, actually, was it felt like the week after it can't have been, but within a very short time, uh, that Manchester United team that won the European Cup won the European Cup, you know, with Bobby Charlton and uh, Nobby Styles, who used to take his teeth out, particularly liked him. And Dennis Law, whose, whose name I had written on my satchel, I scratched it in with a knife, uh, which took ages. And then when I'd finished, I realised I'd spelt it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I did... I did my entire my entire grammar school years was spent with with Dennis Law spelt wrong. How um, did you spell Dennis Law wrong? Well, because he had a funny. De- I think he was Dennis with he was Dennis with one N, and right. I put two. But he was I think he was Dennis just with with just one N. Weird, weirdly. But he was a great footballer. He so, was incredible footballer. But they were amazing. You know, they were an amazing team. Um, they were all legends, really. And um, so I, I sort of supported Man U all the way through school, especially because at the same time, Leeds United were doing extremely well and all the kids in the school were mad for Leeds United because it was just down the road from Doncaster and they were flying really high and they were top of the table and winning things. And so as a point of principle, I had to support someone else. So I supported Man U and, you know, got got regularly criticised and occasionally thumped for mm. it. So, well, it's nice to have another reason to get thumped. Well, I've always, I have a very thumpable face. <laughs> I've always felt that about Mick Hucknell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's wait. on my spade list. We, we must have had this conversation. I've got this, this list. I've got this list of people that I would happily hit in the face with a spade with for no reason. Oh, just you, because you're wasted, and you should be on Radio One or Radio Two or something. Nobody'd get. There'd be no letters sent in. I'd like to hit Mick Hucknell with a spade. Anyway, yeah. Good morning, yeah. everyone. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, but he's just got that kind of face, hasn't he? I, co- I can't comment. Possibly comment. <laughs> right. Okay. I'll get the complaints about this. The one, only the fine. only thing I'll say in his defence is that he's ginger, and everybody knocks the gingers. So he deserves a bit of, bit of, um, what's the word? Give him a bit of a break. I see he could dye his hair and still want to hit him. <laughs> it's, it's not. Have you, like, Have you met no, him? Have you met him? No, I haven't met him. Oh, okay. Right. It'd, it'd, it'd be there, I'd reach for his spade, and then before you know it, it's simply red. Well, I've um, got a friend who met him and he wanted to hit him. I'll well, say in his defence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Now, but see, there's a thing. There's a thing, actually, because the that Leeds team, 
Because you're talking about the Don Revy team, aren't you? Billy Bremner. You're talking, yeah, yeah, you're talking about the, the, dirt, the dirty Leeds the team, dirty aren't you, really? Team, yeah, the, the damned United. Which is a great film and a great yeah, book, actually. it's a great film. Um, um, now, they were very industrial. They weren't a flair team, were they? They were a, a, a very industrial team. Oh, yeah, Whereas the Man U team were a flair team. Bunch of bruisers, really, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they were. Back in the day when you could just kick the shit out of people and be part of the of a way of winning. Oh, it was assault, really, yeah. wasn't it? I'll never forget that one of the, I don't know if you saw it, but one of the national newspapers printed um, a photograph of George Best wearing his just his shorts and nothing else after a match and he was covered from head to toe in cuts and bruises because they used to just kick the hell out of him as soon mm. as he came on because they knew how good he was, so they were, they were just trying to disable him <laughs> every week. No wonder he was drinking heavily. <laughs> I think I would have been. So you, you become a Man U fan, which, is, which has continued ever since, um, which, which is good. I saw him. I actually saw, talking to testimonials, I went to the testimonial for Tony Curry, mm. uh, which was years later. It wasn't... Was he it wasn't. He yeah, sorry. He wasn't a skater, was he? No, Tony Curry, Tony Curry was a footballer. All right. Um, you're thinking of uh, Edwina. Uh, no. <laughs> I was thinking of that bloke from the Rocky Horror. He was uh, Tim the, Curry. There, there, was, there, there, was a, there was a skater called Curry. What was his name? I Justin? No, not Justin. Is he the lead singer? He might be the lead singer of Delamitri. I don't know. Anyway, there, there was a Curry who was a skater. <laughs> Maybe, maybe Tony could skate, I don't know. Anyway, I went to Tony Curry's testimony at Bramall Lane, uh, being a big Sheffield United fan, and George Best was there, and he was playing. Um, but it was, it was this is mid-'80s. This is, and, and so George Best is, is slightly rotund, um, you know, alcoholic. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and he ambles onto the pitch like anybody who... You, you've seen those... You've, you, it's Sunday football when he ambles on. He looks like he's ambled onto a Sunday football match. He's clearly the worst for wear. Um, but, and he, and he, you know, but he hit this He hit this, this shot from about five to ten yards outside the area. And I didn't see it leave his boot. And all I saw was the crossbar just literally pinging in the you know in the breeze because this ball had hit the top of the crossbar and it was literally ricocheting mm. and it was just incredible and and he was he had no right to be able to kick a football like that because he was just this you know dumpy you know slightly the worse for wear fellow at that point it's obviously technique as much as strength oh. perhaps because yeah, i can't in... kick a ball far no matter how hard i try and kick it, it just right. seems to not go far at all right. so there must be a, a knack to it and neck to it. Right. So anyway, so you're a Man U fan. Oh, and I must say hello to Adam, Adam Bostock, who works yes. for Man U and has, has, has occasionally invited me over. And uh, okay. it's always been lovely. And he's a lovely bloke and God knows how many drinks I owe him. There you are, Adam. Um, so Man U, right, but you've also, in the diary, we know you like cricket. I don't like cricket. <laughs> I'll cross them over. You add them in. Um, <laughs> we, know, we know you like cricket, yeah. <laughs> but you've mentioned tennis. Tennis. So yes. I, I guess you like a little bit of Wimbledon, if nothing else. Oh yeah, I was. I, I mean, I've, I, I've my my passion for for the Wimbledon week has has faded a little bit. I don't know why. Um, but back in the days when it was, you know, Navratilova and Sampras. Uh, mm. used to win it, didn't he, habitually, and every now and again. I mean, McEnroe was great to watch back in the day because yes. he, was, he was such a little shit, uh, but quite entertaining. No. Um, and he's a great commentator. I mean, he's mm. probably a – I'd rather hear him commentating than watch him play tennis, to be honest. He's, mm. he's, he's great. He's a little bit more – it's funny how quite a lot of sportsmen, I'm thinking of Roy Keane now, have a, a – Really personable, pleasant persona when they're not playing their sport and then kind of completely turn into another human being. Um, 
Maybe that's what I do. I prob- I'm probably a bit like that myself, um, although I don't play sport. But maybe you just send someone else on or perhaps you've just got someone who lives inside you that comes out on those occasions, you know, and you go, okay, bring him on. Um, I think there's perhaps an element of that in sport, isn't there? For, for, for you know, because the amount of passion and and the um, I don't know that sort of animal animal um, being in the zone. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I used to really love watching Wimbledon, and and I just sort of slowly went off it a bit. I've not gone off it. I just don't tend to tune into it as much now um, in in more recent times. Whether that's me getting old or, or, the, or the sport getting a bit more boring. You know, mm. I mean, Djokovic is a complete phenomenon, but I don't, I don't feel drawn to him. No. You know what I mean? He hasn't got charisma. He's a brilliant tennis player. But he hasn't, for me, he hasn't got that thing i mean i i really like that swiss bloke who keeps winning everything what's his name he's getting old now federer federer he's got something i don't know what it is he's got something mm. about him that would make you want to watch him uh whether it's his whether it's his playing or whether it's some aspect of his personality i mean they, they, they try and squash their personalities right down don't they tennis players because it doesn't seem to help Apart from McEnroe, who used to go the other way and you yeah. know, tended to play better when he was shouting and screaming, uh, the others are all taught to to contain themselves. Um, so very different to football in that respect. Um, I don't think anyone ever tells footballers to contain themselves, do they? No, but saying that though. It... <laughs> You're right in terms of if you think back to say Navratilova was somebody who was you know was very zoned and and Sampras was very zoned as well wasn't he he was very uh, kept a lid on it but then you wouldn't say that about Agassi and you wouldn't say that about Nadal and you wouldn't say that necessarily about Federer and the the Williams sisters are that it all exudes through them as well doesn't it so maybe I'm just getting old yeah no losing them losing the thing. Um... Because it must be coming up, must be fairly shortly, wasn't it? Wimbledon can't be that far off. I'm looking forward to it, even if I don't tune into it. It's nice. It's nice when it's on in the background and you can hear mm. it going pock on a sunny afternoon. It's but, a it, yeah. It, There's just the sound of it in the background is great. Cricket's the same like that. The the sound of cricket is exactly. really reassuring. Yeah, it makes you feel all right, doesn't it? But you associate it with the summer, I think, that's why. Yeah. So you, you, it takes you back to other summer days. And, you, and you've and you mentioned that you like a bit of Grand Prix as well. Well, I'm not nuts for Grand Prix. I mean, Rothers is nuts for, for Grand Prix and Frenchy, they love it. Um, um, we've got the uh, Mercedes team, literally you could almost throw a stone from from here to to the uh, the Mercedes Petronas Formula One headquarters where they actually build the cars. Um, it's only down the road. Uh, and so there's a feeling that, that one should support them. And, uh, you know, especially because they tend to win hands down nearly all the time. That's another reason to support them. <laughs> and uh, Hamilton's a phenomenon, isn't he? He's just something else. He's going to go down as legendary status. Yeah. I think Lewis has already done it. Yeah, no, I, I think he's, he's there. I think he's there. And... Um, I think some people do actually manage it really early. Let's be honest, Tiger Woods managed it really, really early mm. in his career. I mean, he was legendary within a few years, wasn't he? Which actually brings us to the G word. So what about golf then? I can't I can't cope with golf at all. I mean, I'm, oh. I'm all right, you know, at Blackpool, knocking it through the windmill. <laughs> As long as I haven't had too many, many gins, uh, but no, I can't. I can't get worked up about golf. There, right. There's quite a lot of people. Obviously, I'm of an age now where some of my contemporaries, uh, you know, go and play golf, and they go, oh, "Care to come to play golf, old boy?" And I go, "I'd rather be drilled up the nose." Um, I have been. I've been done it. To be fair. 
golf courses tend to be pretty places that are mm. pleasant to walk around. So it is a nice walk. You know, the, the nice walk, spoilt thing is the um, cliche, isn't it? But it is a nice walk. Whether or not it's spoilt or interrupted um, is, is, is open to debate. But there's something about somebody was on Room 101. I think they wanted to put golf in, and they were they were talking about the kind of. It doesn't happen in Scotland. In Scotland, anybody can play golf, and most people do. But down here in England, it tends to be a little bit of a slightly snobby thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Because because you, you have to be a member of the club and that's not cheap and so only reasonably wealthy people can be members of the club and then they all go and they have to have the, the what are they called, the sticks that they hit the ball with? Clubs. Bats. It's got to they be bats, isn't it? The, the bats. Got to have the bats. <laughs> In the bag. Yeah. And, uh, and that's all expensive. And there is just a little bit of, you know, that kind of one-upmanship thing. But I've got to be careful because I have got a good friend who's mad for golf and he's a lovely bloke. And so I, I, it'd be stupid of me to generalise about the people who play golf. It's a bit like generalising about the people who watch football, isn't it? It's very mm. easy to, but of course there's, an, there's a spectrum of people who do all these things. But... I worry about the golf fashion, you know. I worry about that. <laughs> it keeps you awake at night. <laughs> they won't let you on in a bathrobe. It's just all wrong. Yeah, and and there we have it. If you can't get on in a bathrobe, there's something wrong with the sport. <laughs> I, was I, yeah. I mean, I was dreadful. Well, we're on the subject of the sport. I was just dreadful at sport as a little, you know, as a kid. Uh, uh, I was always a little bit young for my age. Um, so every, everybody was always leaving me behind and I was always the last one who got picked for the team. There'd be me and a couple of really fat kids who'd be left <laughs> at the end. Um, so there was there was really that feeling that you were a pariah, um, you know, and all those young fit kids would all be picked first, and you'd be left till the end. And perhaps because of that, I couldn't summon up any enthusiasm for it, and because I couldn't summon any enthusiasm up for it, not only wasn't I any good at it. I was kind of sneeringly not good at it, which used to really piss the games teachers off. Because I think they were all right. As long as you tried, mm. they were kind of all right. But I used to just not try and sneer. Um, that didn't go down very well. So that's just like anything, you know, it spirals down or it spirals up. And, and I spiralled down as a sportsman. Um mm. The only thing I've been even slightly good at ever. No, there isn't anything. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, 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 I think you. Well, you remind me of somebody who would who would play tennis. You've got that kind of tennis vibe about you. If you say, if you mm. said to me, yeah, you know, I, I'm not big into sport, but I do like playing a bit of tennis. I'd, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have taken that. Yeah, Richard Barbieri loves his tennis. He's, I mean. Really, he's really properly good. And the drummer in the Europeans, Jeff Dugmore, played for the county in Scotland and was seriously shit hot. And he mm. used to he used to coach the managing director of A and M Records when we were signed to A and M. It was our way of kind of tickling our career. Hopefully, so go play Derek Green. Um. So I've known good tennis players, but I've never been one. I've walked near them. <laughs> <laughs> They've known my name. That was it. The thing in tennis, in doubles, if you, at least if you get picked last, you're still only the second person picked. 
That's true, yeah. It's not quite so bruising <laughs> on the old ego. As when you start off with 20 people around you and there's only you left. We played a bit of tennis at Hook End Manor in the old days when we were making season's end because it was such glorious weather. And there was a tennis court and Mosley used to like to get out there. And and Rothers used to used to play uh, in those days. Um, so we used to go out and play a bit. It was quite good fun. Mm. But for me, I can only enjoy sport as long as there's not even a whiff of taking it seriously. Right. And it's other people's com- competitiveness and ambition which puts me off it. As soon as I sniff a bit of that, you know, I'm heading for the bar. Right. Okay. Fine. I think well, I, I don't I don't like that eye of the tiger competitive thing that that comes out in people when they when when they're competing. You know, I, I, it it I, I don't, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Mm. And I'm sure there's a million people who would passionately disagree. But I I've never been a competitive person. And I'm always slightly suspicious of competitive people because I think they're compensating for something. But we all are, aren't we? I mean, I'm on a bloody stage, aren't I? So I've got issues. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just not going to respond to that. <laughs> I think I think I we don't should see head. how anyone could. <laughs> I think we should go for a bit of diary. <laughs> I really do. Uh, which is good, actually, because I read the diary this morning. You're about to go to a garden party. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's St Giles. I do yeah. remember that. I do remember that. Mark, Mark, the, the woman who was to become Mark Kelly's wife, actually. Um, which one? Angie. Uh, wife number two. Number two. <laughs> He's been practising. I think he's got the hang of it now. Well, he just got married again, didn't he? That's what I mean. Yeah, just literally <laughs> just... Is, and that's th- three, isn't That is three, isn't it? That's three. That's the last. This yes. is the one that's going to work out for him, bless him. Yeah, right. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll go to this diary. We'll head to Oxford for, for a bit of garden, a bit of a garden party. Yeah. Yes, you can almost hear that widdly sense. Right. Friday, 7th of July. Home. Got up with the children at 8 o'clock and got Sophie and Niall off to school. It wasn't a bad morning, so I thought I'd mowed the lawn. Sue had a bit of a lie-in and then spent the morning getting herself ready for the garden party this afternoon. It's always a pleasure to mooch about in the garden, monitoring the progress of the flowers and plants... This is going to be one of my last few days off before all hell breaks loose as we prepare for the forthcoming world tour, so I was enjoying the garden with a clear conscience. At twelve, I picked Niall up from the play school, next door but one, and he disappeared upstairs to hinder Sue. He sticks to her like glue, and it drives her crazy. At two o'clock, I had to call Lester Middleton, a journalist from the Mail on Sunday Supplement, to answer a load of questions and give him my views on sex. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Oh well, it'll publicise the new album. Ended up talking to Lester for the best part of 45 minutes and probably ended up saying too much. My mum gets the Mail on Sunday, so I'm sure there'll be no lack of feedback from the article. All of this had made us late for the garden party. I'd been invited out of the blue by Angie, an old friend of a friend, who I remember meeting briefly backstage at Oxford Apollo a couple of years ago. 
I've never been to a garden party, but I've been singing about them for the past few years, so I can justify this trip on the grounds of research. According to the invitation, there was champagne and strawberries at three. We arrived in Oxford at 20 past and realised we'd come out without any money, so we had to drive into the town and find a bank to be able to pay and display for the car parking ticket. Oxford is notorious for speed cameras and punitive parking fines. We finally parked the car outside the Eagle and Child, famous for having been a regular meeting place for J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis back in the 30s, and crossed the road to St. Giles College. We entered through a large gate, which led us up through an alley and round past two builders to a dead end. A girl in a pink ostrich feather hat, carrying a teddy bear and accompanied by a chap in linen, made the mistake of assuming we knew where we were going and followed us up the same dead end, past the same two suitably amused builders. We eventually gained entry into the garden of the smallish mansion house, which is St Giles' house, and said hello to Julia Simpson, who I had known from GWR Radio, and hostess Angie, who set about plying us pleasantly with champagne and strawberries. She introduced us to the girl in the pink hat with the teddy bear. She was called Lise, and she owns the English Teddy Bear Company. Returning with another drink, I caught the girl's mid-conversation and was asked to share any thoughts I might have on the subject at hand, which turned out to be menstruation. What a minefield. I said something about girls always taking their handbags to the toilet. Well, I had been drinking. Behind us on the lawn was a clown who was busy creating enormous tubular bubbles. He later took to balloon sculptures, and Lise presented me with a handbag made of balloons in memory of my earlier half-witted observations. They had sounded somewhat naive, but I thought it best to give the impression. She later also gave me the teddy as a present to little Niall. What a nice girl. The music consisted of two young male musicians, one on trumpet, one on sax, who played along to various jazz and funk backing tracks and were very impressive players. I was introduced to them between sets. Although they were both very good players, I thought the sax player, James, had it in him to be great. His technique, intonation and expression were faultless. He said he's been playing for five and a half years. Bloody hell, it sounded like 15 to me. Much to my surprise, they both seemed to know all about Marillion and were keen to know what we were currently working on. I invited them down to the racket club to meet the chaps later in the month. The champagne gave way to Pims, and Angie, who works for Joy Lefevre, the PR company who were hosting the party, came over to chat. She said, if ever a band needed sympathetic PR, it's us. We're the most misunderstood and underrated band in the world. I agreed. She said she's lost count of the people she's played our music to, who, after initial scepticism, have really got into it. It's frustrating, but better than thinking we're brilliant, only to hear us and be disappointed. Monday, 31st of July. Home, Washington. Slept well for the first time in quite a while, especially unusual as I leave for America today to start the Afraid of Sunlight tour. We will start in the clubs and small theatres of the American and Canadian Northeast. This actually limits my pre-tour anxiety as we can warm up the show in low profile, adding creative ideas as we go. Hopefully by the time we arrive back in England, the show should run like a well-oiled machine. Watch this space. I climbed out of bed around 8.15 and went downstairs, leaving Sue and the children to sleep. It's unusual for Niall to sleep past eight, but he's had a couple of late nights over the weekend. I showered and wandered around, trying to gather together the various possessions I will take on the road for the coming three or four weeks. I intend to try and write some music while I'm out this time, so I will take a little battery-operated four-track, as well as my new Yamaha QY20 pocket-sized sequencer. What with all that, and keeping up with this diary, I'm not going to be the most sociable of creatures. Where was I? 
Well, it wasn't long before the children arrived downstairs, so I was temporarily hijacked into making breakfast before popping down to the shop to buy a bottle of bleach. The last-minute dash to wash my clothes had resulted in my blue shorts dyeing my yellow shirt and pink socks to dirty shades of yellow and pink, respectively. So I wanted to try and bleach them back to the right colours before I left at midday. I returned from the village shop, Domestus in hand, to find Sue had risen and, of course, the children were upstairs helping her get ready. Sophie and Niall, given the choice, will never be more than one room away from her, so I was left free to put my things into soak and start packing. Sophie came downstairs dressed, so I took her with me to Banbury, where I was doing a Marks and Sparks run for underwear. We parked the car and she held my hand as we walked across the town both conscious of my impending departure. She's such a lovely little girl. I shall always treasure her. We wandered in and out of the shops, bought flowers for Sue and sweets for Niall, went to the bank and returned home. The children are having their hair cut this morning at 11.30, so I'll say goodbye to them and have half an hour to myself to finish packing before the car arrives to take me to the airport. We will all be spared the sight of me loading suitcases into the car. It usually makes everyone low. Well, I waved everyone off to the hairdressers and continued packing. Two minutes before the car arrived, I discovered all my socks and underwear for the trip still in a pile on the shower room floor. I thought I'd put them in the suitcase. Phew, nearly went to America without socks and drawers. At 11.45, I heard an engine running outside in the street and looked out to see not a taxi from Banbury, but a limo from London. EMI had laid on cars for the trip, so CP had sent my usual driver, Gary, to pick me up in a Merc. Nice. He was a bit early, so we sat in the garden drinking Coke and chatting about EMI. Once again, it was a beautiful morning. We're experiencing one of the warmest summers for years in England. I sat enjoying the garden and listening to the sprinkler watering the lawn as I stared at the house, trying to burn the moment into my memory so that I could recall it all and remember who I am when my feet start to leave the ground, as they always seem to when I'm caught up in the unnatural chaos of touring. I locked the house and left and sat in the front seat of the Merc to go to the racket club where we were to pick up Stuart Every, our sound engineer. He was waiting outside chatting to Aldo, our landlord, at Lawn Farm, who shook my hand and wished us success. Aldo's living proof that you don't have to be a bastard to rent out property. At the airport, we met up with the boys to learn of the first fuck-up of the tour. The travel agent has booked Alan, Stuart and Roger onto yesterday's flight, so they might not get on the plane. They were sent to queue for a standby place while the rest of us checked in. Great. Later on, just moments before the 747 pulled away from the stand, I noticed Stuart bored, but no sign of Alan and Roger. Oh well. We always begin each tour with a fuck-up of some description. Stuart had managed to bag the last vacant seat on this huge aeroplane, and as luck would have it, he found himself up front in first class, Wide seats, private bar and a masseur doing the rounds. I sat back in economy with Tim, reading the last chapters of Tolstoy's War and Peace in between snoozing and watching the TV. They now have screens in the backs of the seats and you can select what you want to watch. I later wandered forward and had an ice cream and a couple of drinks from the bar with Stuart. We got talking to a girl called Jane, who turned out to be the marketing manager of Virgin's Roof Gardens Club in Kensington. She'd just got married and was passing round the photographs. She invited me to drop by if I was in town to have a look. Nothing much else of interest happened during the flight to New York, Newark, which passed quite quickly. It took a while to change terminals at Newark and we arrived to check in for the 8 o'clock flight to Washington with only 10 minutes to spare. They said not to worry and that they would hold the flight for us. 
When we arrived at the gate, I knew why. We were shown through a side door and down some stairs to the smallest commercial passenger aircraft I've ever seen. There were only three other passengers, apart from the seven of us, and the flight was full. I sat next to the wing where the noise from the propeller engines was deafening as we rattled our way down to Washington. At 9.15 we were back on the ground and catching a bus to the baggage carousels. Outside it was hot and humid and everyone was working hard to pretend not to be exhausted and irritable as the bags were loaded into the taxis. I flopped into the back seat and it was a relief to sit quietly and enjoy the air conditioning. Arriving at the Latham Hotel in Georgetown, the air wrapped back around me like a hot soup as I opened the cab door. The Latham is situated on a street which owes its appearance equally to the Wild West and Covent Garden. It's a classier hotel than I was expecting. That was the third pleasant surprise of the day. I was expecting a mini cab from home to Heathrow. I was also expecting to have to drive from New York to Washington and I was expecting the hotels on this tour to be basic. I checked into room 909 and showered before meeting up with the boys downstairs in the bar, where we chatted to Jill from Las Vegas, who was serving the drinks, before we wandered down the road to find somewhere to eat. By now, it was well past four in the morning in England, so I was fading fast. We had a beer in a refrigerated bar called Nathan's and emerged teeth chattering into the comfort of the warm street. Ian and Mark were hungry and went off in search of somewhere to eat while Pete, Stuart and I returned to the hotel. Went to bed at 12 midnight and woke at 4, willing myself back into sleep until giving up at 6.30. And we're back. And so we had a bit of garden party and then you travelling to the first part of the AOS tour. Yes, flew to Washington, didn't I? Yes, you did. But what was buried at the beginning, pre-garden party, Hmm. uh, was the Mail on Sunday wanted to talk to you about sex. I knew you'd jump on that. I just knew you would. Well, I think I had sex back then. You know, I can't bloody remember. Um... You've not mentioned it in the diary, but I wouldn't have expected you to. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned socks. Friday, 23rd of August. Had sex. Um, No, I used to keep it quiet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, these walls are like tissue paper. No, the the media just, they always want smart, don't they? They want... They want um, they want sex and they want to know if any of your family have got anything terminal, you know, or whether you've, whether you've lost a child. Mm. Um, and if you have, they're, they're in seventh heaven. Um, and, you know, if you, you know, tell us about, tell us about your small child who was knocked down in a terrible road accident and, and that's dreadful. And, oh, oh, and about your new album. Mm. Uh, you know, so it, it, the only way you get to the really big media, the, the the dailies, is with some kind of tragedy or smut, um, mm. and then you can plug the record at the same time. And I'd like to feel I'm the kind of artist who wouldn't stoop to those lengths, but I, I obviously did. <laughs> well, it was the ma- it was the mail on Sunday, wasn't it? Well, mail on if Sunday, that's said. not stooping. What is exactly? <laughs> it's interesting to see because what you've just said there sounds, you know, that really resonates, and it sounds, yeah, that's you, you're exactly right. It's got to be one of those things because that's the only way in. But we're talking about 1995, hmm. and that's where the mail on Sunday were in 1995. Well, they've always been in that place, you know. It's always been about that. Um, I must say they were always very pleasant whenever I spoke mm. to them. The journalists um, I've had the good fortune to, to talk to over the years have all been really cool people. Mm. They've not been those horrible paparazzi, sweaty, sweaty, obnoxious people that 
the, I'm sure there are those people on the staff. And or amongst more, the ownership. Piers Morgan. Um, but people I've spoken to have always been very nice. But maybe they're just trying to lull, lull you, get your guard down. <laughs> so, so I'll betray you and me. Oh, you'll never believe what I did last night. Anyway, don't tell anyone. That kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know what's going on outside. Somebody is actually throwing their entire <laughs> possessions into my skip. Notes. Into your skip. Just, 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 just put up with it, folks. No, it's fine. Are you going to build them? Are you gonna <laughs> I'm going to go and have a rifle through see if any, any of it's, <laughs> any of it's Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we better wrap up fairly quick so you can go and rifle through <laughs> your skip then. I've got a skip to rifle through <laughs> or riffle through. I've, I've, riffle? I, I heard, saw, the, saw the word riffle written down. Um, I wondered if rifling had been not the thing to do all those years. I should have been riffling when I, when I was rifling. Anyway. I'm assuming riffle's two Fs, is it? There'll be, yes, riffle with two Fs. So right. maybe I've been rifling all these years when when I should have been riffling. Do write yeah. in and let me know. That, well, that 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 that, that was see that was Paul Weller's issue at school because he 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 wants to <laughs> he, he, he riffles. even riffles on his satchel, <laughs> but he missed one of the F's off. <laughs> oh, that's another T-shirt. It is. <laughs> I think rifling through your skips is going to be the name of the episode. It's, it's just just got to be. You could do my old man's adjustment for the Croomcast. Oh, Jesus. Every week, a new I'm thing sorry. to learn. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, oh, you could do Garden Party on piano. So, um, Core Blimey the... Trousers get a mention in my old man's adjustment. They do. So they do. It's a must, yeah. isn't it? Let's face it. I'm going to have yeah, to. You're going to have to at some point. Um, was the garden party what you expected? Was it kind of in a quadrangle kind of collegey vibey thing and was how you'd expect? Yes and no. It was in a walled garden of a sort of what looked like a little manor house, which is right, right in St. Giles, opposite, more or less opposite the Eagle and Child, uh, the, the famous pub where C.S. Lewis and. Um, What's his face? Tolkien used to meet up. The Inklings. Uh, yeah. I think they used to meet up on Tuesdays, um, and it was yeah, it wasn't quadrangled, but it was awfully civilized and pleasant. And I mean, it was an Oxford college, um, so you don't get much more civilized than an Oxford college. No. And there were ladies there in big hats, and uh, I think I dressed up a bit. Took the jammies off. Didn't wear the bathrobe. Uh, you uh, flounce a bit. It seems like a moment to be baronesque. <laughs> I can't. You'd. I. You'd have to ask other people if I flounced. I mean, I. You know, I've got it in me. <laughs> you have previous. <laughs> <laughs> but did it live up to the expectations? Yeah, it was quite pleasant. It was champagne, strawberries. Uh, it was moving on to pims, and you like a pims, don't you? Moving on to pims, love it, love pims, yeah. uh, love the idea of pims every bit as much as it. Coming from uh, a council house in Doncaster, pims was awfully exotic when I was growing up. Um, in fact, I never got anywhere near it. Uh, mm. But now I'm. I, I, very rarely without one in my hand. Mm. You very rarely hear anybody say, hold me, Pims, I'm going for a piss in the car park, do you? <laughs> no. No, you don't. No. I've not heard that. <laughs> Could one babysit one's Pims? <laughs> one's going for a piss in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so garden party was great, and then you're gonna you, you jump on a plane, you set off to, uh, to Washington. Washington. Yeah. Um, did the two members of the crew who couldn't get on the flight get on the flight? They must have do done eventually. Yeah, because you don't they... mention them again. No. <laughs> <laughs> the last we ever saw of Someone them. Someone must have set the gear up. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't muck them out. I just ride them. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> 
had that in the past. <laughs> oh, I'm really in one big, one big happy family. It's a one big group. No, I've got a clue. No, I think they came in the day after. Right. I mean, Stuart Every ended up in first class with people <laughs> people peeling grapes, massaging his temples and passing him ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. While we were all in bloody economy. Yeah. So, it felt like you'd italicised that in bold when you wrote it, but it didn't get printed that way. Certainly, yeah. I was. I thought, well, this is marvellous. Um, but, you know, fair enough. Hmm. Cool. He did invite me up front about halfway through and he did give me an ice cream. So. Oh. That's nice, isn't it? Well, it is, and I quite like, I quite like a transatlantic ice cream. I don't know what it is about having an ice cream when you're flying to the US, but it's quite nice. Mm. Yeah, you get a Solero, don't you? <laughs> I think it's the only one I've ever had. That ice is it? Cream. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no I, I, Virgin do it all the time. Well, I flew first class once in my life. Again, the flight was overbooked and we came back from Geneva. And the uh, an air stewardess called Anna Turner knelt next to me and fed me chocolates all the way to his room. <laughs> and have you told the mail on Sunday this? <laughs> I should, they would have wanted to know that. Um, yeah. But that was quite amazing. That was spectacular. Oh. Decadent in the extreme. Anyway, yes. I've, I've forgotten it, as you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, we'll, we'll leave it there for the 60 or 61 um whatever this one turns out to be we're not quite sure yet we'll mm. uh we'll we'll let you know it's been lovely to have a chat this morning particularly about sport <laughs> <laughs> yes you mind mind my extensive knowledge yeah you? yeah i don't we're not going to follow up episode to this oh it's <laughs> it's sort of <laughs> mainly extended to no, nobby styles teeth that was about yeah. it wasn't it and me insulting mick Huckle. that's that's <laughs> been that's oh. been the morning hasn't it oh lord I know. Well, don't. I'm not worried. It's your name on the podcast, so uh... holding back the spades. <laughs> the working title, you know, changed it in the last minute. Oh, straight in the face! Bang, <laughs> stars. There we have it. Stars. <laughs> oh, you are a one. I am a one. Yes, we. <laughs> We better go back to a, a slightly more serious episode next week. We've had one of our we've had one of our slight moments, haven't we? <laughs> this morning. <laughs> oh. Right, well I better leave you because you've got to work out how to play my old man's dustman. I have. As soon as I've finished riffling through that skip, I'll pop back up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yes, explore the delights of. Uh, he looked a proper nana in his. And he looked a proper nana in his. Great big hobnail boots. He had such a job to pull him up, they called him Daisy Roots. Yeah. Yeah. That's Perfect. The key. Leave it with me. I'll leave um, it with you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you made it this far. To whichever episode this is, it's yes. been one of those episodes, hasn't it? It's been one of them. Yeah. Lovely. All right, ta-da. Toodaloo, Anthony. See you next week. Have a banana. My old man's a dustman. He wears a dustman's hat. He wears cold blimey trousers. And he lives in a council flat. He looks a proper nana. In his great big hobnail boots He has such a job to pull him up That he calls him Daisy Roots Thank you Penny Stevenson Thank you Morton Bay Thank you Morton Otterson I'm grateful in every way Thank you Paula Collarwine And Chai as well Your handwriting's really good Better than mine anyway my old man's a dustman, he wears a dustman's hat He wears cold blimey trousers and he lives in a council flat Next time you see a dustman looking all pale and sad Don't kick him in the dustbin, it might be my old day
Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>